0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Nate Tudis with me. How are you, Nate?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Let me tell you guys a little bit more about Nate. He is a 15-year sales veteran who's regarded as an expert in sales, sales process, and strategy. As head of partner success at Membrane, Nate works with some of the top sales consultants across the globe to elevate the sales profession. His efforts focus on helping sales teams improve efficiency, increase effectiveness, and exceed sales targets through opportunity management and process execution. Having worked with hundreds of companies across 17 countries to implement CRM sales process and embedded training, Nate has a unique skill set when it comes to getting the most from your technology. So tell us about this amazing career that you've had, hundreds of companies, 17 countries, How did you get started and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so how I got started actually was probably different than most people. I, like many people in sales, didn't think I was actually going to be in sales. I didn't really want to be in sales. My dad was a career salesperson and a VP of sales all my life growing up. So I, I originally went to college for a semester and then dropped out and joined the Marine Corps. And when I was in the Marines... I was uh, in the reserve. So I had a civilian job where I toured around the the country. Basically, I hit all lower 48 states five, six times every year where I was installing fall protection. And at the end of all those installations, we had to train everybody that was going to be utilizing the system because it was a safety system. So there were things involved that they had to know about. And after seeing me do some of the trainings a few times, the owner of the company said, hey, you interact really well with people. You're comfortable on a stage like you should really be in sales. And so they started me in sales. And so I did that for a few years before the travel kind of got to me a little bit. I had just recently gotten married when I started in sales. So I was still traveling four or five days a week. And uh, we decided to get something closer to home. So I went into distribution sales at that point. And um was with one company for a little while and then jumped to a packaging distribution company. And that was where I actually got started in sales management. So I started there, worked there for a year or two before they moved me into the sales management role, and then um, went into sales management. From sales management, I actually got involved with Membrane, had a few failed CRM implementations and after a little while brought Membrane into things. And then um, from there, I went to being a consultant, a sales consultant for a year or so. And then Membrane approached me about actually joining their team. And so right in the midst of COVID and everything, I had separated from that sales consultancy that I had joined. And uh, Membrane approached me and I joined their team and now head a partner success, uh, working with partners all across the globe to help implement sales process and more effective execution.
0: Wow. So you've definitely lived the life, as I like to say, right? Yep. You're not just coming from... Um, this CRM implementation and process from like a theoretical, I built the software view, which a lot of people that work within CRM organizations are. But let's Mm -hmm. take it back a a little bit. So when you were a field salesperson, what were some of the the things that you really despised about having to travel and be in the field?
1: Oh, so I actually enjoyed the travel a fair bit. Until I got married. <laughs> and then once I was married, it was a lot of, there was so much time spent actually traveling. And back then this was, let's see, this would have been 20, 2008, 2009 time frame that I was doing some of this stuff. And so one, you had the recession, which that was going on at that point. But for me in the field that I was in, it was safety. So it was kind of something that OSHA mandated you did. So our field wasn't affected that much, to be fair. But you had where you would schedule an appointment, you would fly across the country to go meet with someone, you would get there and they would be like, hey, something came up, I'm not able to meet with you. So that was something that I just really did not care for and implemented in my process where I would get much more intelligent about actually sending information ahead of time and saying, hey, I'm going to be flying out to meet with you next week and making sure that that was just part of my own process. But really, I, I was pretty blessed in that I just enjoyed the sales process. I enjoyed the fact that because I traveled so much, I got to work with people in the Northeast, which has their own unique way of selling to them. I got to work with people in the South. I got to work with people on the West Coast. I mean, I got to kind of get all the different flavors of the United States and figure out how I had to adapt or shift my selling style to cater to those individuals. So it's kind of fun.
0: I'm just a little bit biased just because I came from the field sales world too. And Mm -hmm. I think that That carrying the bag, being in the airport on Monday, coming back on Thursday, Friday, figuring out how to do things in the hotel, servicing clients, that whole world. It really teaches you like these grassroots, like how to actually be a salesperson, right? Mm No shade to people who are in SaaS or inside sales. But for me, I know the lessons that I learned being a field salesperson and how my time management, because it's like, you can't wake up catch a flight, go meet with a bunch of customers and drive somewhere else, be in the hotel and do all of those things and not have to do the paperwork, not have to tap into the CRM, not have to follow up with your other customers if you don't know how to manage your time. So I really think that starting your career as a field salesperson gives you that oomph.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That's actually a really really valid point because one of the things that I actually work on with new sales reps is I'll ask them how they value their time and have they ever actually gone through the calculation of figuring out like how much their time is worth and then analyzing what they're spending their time on. And Wesleyan, I'm shocked at how many people actually haven't gone through that exercise. And when you run them through it and you're like, okay, so maybe it would make sense to actually structure your time in a way that actually gets you the highest level of productivity. I remember when I, when I moved into the packaging company Zoom and WebEx and stuff like that were still kind of a little bit on the edge a little bit, I guess you would say. Not a lot of customers were like terribly familiar with it, but I covered pretty much the entire lower part of the state of Wisconsin. So I could at times have one customer that was a four hour drive away from my house because I'm in the southeast corner of the state. And I remember like setting up Zoom calls and I would have other team members that were like, how did you get so many calls in in a day with your customers? And I'm like, because I asked them if they'd be willing to Zoom to talk about the challenge they had. And I would only make those field visits when I absolutely had to because it was that value of time and effectiveness and what you could do from that. So I never actually thought about how being a field sales rep does kind of instill those disciplines in you, but it's an excellent point because it, it is something that when you're a field sales rep, you have to learn how to manage all of those different things as well.
0: I have a, a really funny story of a when I was an a instrument salesperson. I literally sold an entire instrument like via email. Like, you know, when people actually read emails and it wasn't like a cold thing. And so everything went through email. And then I went to do the training after the instrument was sold. And the person, he, he looked at me and he was like, I'm sorry, but part of my shock this whole time, I thought that you were a man because your name, it it seems kind of masculine, (laughs) but to me, it was funny. I was like, nope, ah, this is who I am. (laughs) Like literally, I sold that whole $100,000 piece of equipment via email. And this is way before like the times of the Zooms and the Skype and all of that, because of, as you talked about, you mentioned like that value, solving his problem, making sure I was connected with him, him with the right solution. Yeah. So- You stepped into the world of of distribution, and you said packaging sales, and within two years, you climbed the ranks to sales manager. How did you make such a fast ascent within the first 18 months of getting with a company?
1: Well, so to be perfectly fair and transparent, my dad was the president of that particular company, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. The other piece to it, though, was that I had always had kind of a passion for coaching, and I, I developed that passion for coaching when I was actually in eighth grade. I can remember it vividly. I had a, a basketball coach at the time who was just like, you know, you, you seem to have kind of a knack for not just like telling other players on the team what to do, but actually going up and helping them to process what's going on in a play and why it's important that they make this move or they make that move. And he was like, I really think you should read this book. And he gave me a book by Coach Mike Shashevsky, Coach K from the Duke Blue Devils. And I just fell in love with coaching at that point. So I always wanted to kind of work my way into that role because to me, sales and coaching are symbiotic in a way. Like sales, leadership, and coaching, I always say that they're kind of the same. They're different faces of the same coin, so to speak, because when you're selling to a customer if you're doing it in the most effective manner, you're actually coaching them through their process to make a purchase, right? And sometimes as a coach, you have to help the customer to realize, hey, the way you're thinking right now may not be the most effective way to think about this particular opportunity. So for me, those things always seem to be fairly similar. And the best way to get really, really good and really, really adept at something is to actually coach someone through the process. So for me, The next step, the next evolution from a sales perspective was to actually go and coach people on how to actually do some of the things that I was doing and to figure out like, okay, Does this just work for me or does it work for everybody? And if it doesn't work for everybody, what do I need to do? What do I need to change and adapt to help that person to reach their next level of success? So that was really what it boiled down to. I looked at territory, did the traditional thing of territory planning and making sure that I had my time worked out correctly and growing with existing customers and things like that. And eventually they just said, hey, can we put you in a position where you'll actually coach the team and help them to get some of those similar results?
0: Mm, You're bringing me back to a lot of old memories because... I'm thinking of my time as a, again, a field salesperson. And one thing that a lot of people do wrong in these type of sales is they like to go directly to the top where they want to talk to purchasing. They want to do all these things. And it was always my view, like, no, I need that. I ca- now I didn't have a word for it back then, but I call, they're my internal champion, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I need that internal champion. I need to educate them on the reasons why this is good, how they should use it. And then I have to coach them on asking their boss for approval. Then I have to coach them on getting this through purchasing. And, you know, if we have to do anything in terms of legal terms or all those little bits and pieces, it is literally my job to coach them up. And the same thing you're doing as a manager, right? You have your salespeople and they're faced with a problem and you don't do it for them. You don't just Mm -hmm. give them the answer. You coach them through it. You help them find the solutions. You let them sometimes you have to kind of let them fall a little bit so that the next time they don't fall the same way or they don't make the same mistake. But again, yep. when we take those key lessons that we've learned as a salesperson and apply them to being a good sales manager and sales coach, that's what changes how we lead. And so yep. this goes into something that is a controversial topic. I feel that you should have some type of selling experience to actually mad at salespeople. What do you think about that, Nate?
1: I would certainly agree. Um... I would agree, but I would also say I don't think that you necessarily need to be the top best salesperson per se in order to be the sales manager, because I think that's another mistake that's made where they'll take the top salesperson, they'll be like, oh, you're an absolute rock star. He or she should go into that role and be the sales manager. But the skill set of being a sales manager and a sales coach are completely different than being a top sales professional. Not saying they can't be the same, but even just look at sports as an analogy perspective. Some of the best athletes in the world are not the greatest coaches. If you look at like Michael Jordan and just, um, I forget what the the Netflix special is, but if you watch him, it's like you would not want him to be the coach. Um, great basketball player, not necessarily the greatest coach. You look at Steve Kerr, though, and Steve Kerr played a, a very important, but one would consider a minor role compared to Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, some of those guys played a very important role. But from that role, he was able to actually see like what the differences were within the team. And when you take that, it's very similar in the sense of the person that's the top performer isn't always going to be the best sales manager or the best sales coach. However, you do need experience from a selling perspective in order to know what are the key things, because just take time management like we've been talking about. Managing your time as a salesperson is completely different than managing your time in almost any other role than maybe a solopreneur, I would say.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to dig into that top salesperson misnomer because um, let's be honest, as a top salesperson, you're kind of selfish. You're kind of, you're just a little bit all about me, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, okay, I'm at the top. I'm the king. I'm the queen of this domain. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to follow rules. I don't have to do any of that stuff. And then they take all of that bad behavior into leading their team. And then they're like, well, why aren't you guys listening to me? I don't understand. I don't understand Mm -hmm. why, but I asked you to do this. And it's like, yeah, because you're not doing it. So really that is a huge misnomer. But I do think that you need to have been a salesperson because it is very, very difficult for you to tell me to do something that you can't give me personal experience. You can't really tell me why. Why -hmm. do I need to update the CRM? Why do I need to make a call report? Like, why does that even matter? And a lot of times if you don't have that experience, you're speaking from a theoretical background. Now I mm-hmm. have met some exceptions to the rule where there are people who have not, you know, carried a bag and they are good leaders, good sales leaders, but they have a slightly different skill sets. And I will say, maybe this is again, my bias, you know, these have actually been technical people, like, you know, people who come from engineering background or, um, a technology background. And so they were on the other side of the business. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to have something. And yep. even when I hire sales people, I'm like, you got to have something. Either you got some technical knowledge or you have some sales skills, but you can't just be have none, right? You can't right. just come from finance and not understand the product or understand how to sell. So, yep. okay, I was on my my whole soapbox there for a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's, it's, it's perfectly valid points though, because one of the things that you have is like from a selling perspective, There's certain fundamentals that you have to know. And you also have to be able to, especially when you're coaching and when you're leading, you have to be able to translate to use, I I think it was Zig Ziglar that, that the phrase, however, I would say that, um, but with them of what's in it for me. And there are so many times where, whether it's that top salesperson, because I've had people that I've talked to that they were a top salesperson, they went into the management role. And then they're like, I don't get why the salespeople aren't doing what I'm asking them to do. And it's like, well, Have you translated that information for them so that they actually understand, here's why that's important for you, here's why that's important for the customer, here's why that's important for the entire organization as a whole versus just dictating and telling them what they need to do. You bring in someone from finance or a background from that perspective, they're going to get into the numbers and the metrics and be like, hey, this is what you need to do. And it's like, well, if you can't relate that for the salesperson, then the why that's there is missing. And if there's no why, the salesperson usually is going to be like, oh, I don't feel like doing it because it's just a bunch of dictatorial stuff and I'm not going to go through that process. So it's just like
0: a, a check the box, right? It's like, okay, I'm just checking the box and it doesn't actually this isn't helping me achieve any of my goals. This isn't helping me get any closer to making money or doing anything that I want to do. So why should I do it? Um, but you know, on the, on the other side, I have worked with sales leaders that have been top salespeople and they're like, I just want to be good and I don't understand why. And so that propensity to change that propensity to develop that, okay, I was a good salesperson, but I am a horrible manager and I want to be a good manager that Mm -hmm. really helps them when they peel back the veil. And sometimes, unfortunately, I work with those sales leaders and we're like, yeah, you're better off back as an individual contributor. This is not how your skill set is best being used. Mm -hmm. And you're doing yourself as well as your team a disservice by forcing a square peg into a round hole.
1: Yeah. And there's, to your point from the initial part where you started off with, that there's a certain level of selfishness that you have to have to be that top salesperson. And as soon Mm -hmm. as you step into that leadership role, as soon as you step into that manager role there's a dynamic that has to shift to where it's no longer about you. Like if the team hits its numbers, great. It was the team that hit their numbers. If you go and you coach someone through and they they take your coaching, they apply it, and that helps them to close the sale, it still wasn't you that helped to close the sale. It was that salesperson that took that coaching and applied it to whatever that sales context was and won the sale. So it's a completely different perspective where you have to have Whether it's humility or whether it's just the ability to say, hey, it's not about me anymore. It's about the team. And how do I get what I've done to work effectively through the team and give the team the credit? Like the sales manager in theory should never be the one that's actually taking the credit. But many times when they're that top salesperson, they want that credit. They crave that credit. So when they can't take it, it's like, ah, you're killing me. That's where I get my motivation. So that's a huge shift as well as it has to be more about the team than it is about the individual.
0: Absolutely. As a sales manager, if your name is coming up, you're doing it wrong. We should never hear about you. Ever, ever, ever. We should hear about your team. We should hear about the top person on your team. We should hear about that comeback kid, the one who is struggling, but you help them. And as a sales manager, if that is not what your mindset is, if you're not okay with not seeing your name in life, then Mm -hmm. you should not be in that job because your name is not going to be in life. And so you have to really realize, like, these are the things that I am doing as a sales manager. But so we talked about all of the wrong, but let's talk about some of the joys of sales management. What are some of those things that as a sales manager, you really enjoyed?
1: Ooh, for me, it was seeing the success that people would have when you when you coached them up and when you worked with them. For me, it was having people see that you actually cared. That was always really important to me. I had one prime example. I went through a goal-setting exercise with with one of the people that worked for me, and I remember going through, and, and he was kind of giving me all the textbook answers. He was giving me the textbook answers as to why his sales goals were what they were and what he wanted to do, and I finally just stopped, and I was like, okay, appreciate you sharing that with me. I appreciate the information, but what I really want to understand is like, what do you actually want? What do you actually want to achieve? And I was like, and I'm not, I'm not just talking the sales numbers. I'm talking like, what do you want to achieve in life? Like, how do we help you to get that? And his main driver was that he actually wanted to take an extended vacation during the summer so that he and his wife could go and take their RV and just go camping. And I was like, okay, so let's rework the math and figure out like, where do you need to be with your sales goals so that you can take that and not have to worry about hitting your quota when you come back because we'll front load everything so that you've got what you need. And we'll backload the other stuff so that we make sure that you're still hitting your numbers along the way. But I'm fine with doing that if that's your goal and that's your objective. And I remember we went through the exercise and he ended up doing a fantastic job, actually crushed it, blew everything out of the water. And he came back to me at one point, and I don't remember if this was before he hit the mark or if it was during it, but came back to me at one point and he said, you know, Nate, he said, I've worked at this company. And, and for him, he had worked at the company since he was 18. He was now in his in his 50s. And he's like, I've worked here for literally decades. And He goes, you are the first person that actually stopped to ask me what I wanted to achieve and why that was important for me to hit my numbers. Mm-hmm. And that particular individual hadn't hit quota and I don't even know how long and he was ahead of quota before he ever went on vacation and he blew the number out of the water when he came back i mean it was it was awesome to see it and it was one of those things where it was just it was the first time that someone had actually stopped and i remember saying to him i won't share his name but i just i just said to him i was like thank you for sharing that with me but i'm sorry that that was the case like it should never be the case that you're with a company for decades and the first person to ask you that is a manager that's younger than you and you know whatever i'm like it should have been that that was the case all the way through so for me, having that experience where the reps actually knew that I cared about them, not just as a salesperson and hitting their numbers so that I looked good, but they actually like hit their numbers so that they achieve something, to me was the most fun thing about the whole role because when you can see people reach their goals and objectives and like crush it from that perspective and see the motivation that comes along with that, it's just a really rewarding place to be.
0: Mm, and you tapped on something that is so important that as sales managers, we don't realize it's not really always about the money. And it's Mm -hmm. so many times people have goals. They have things that they want to achieve, things that they want to do in life. And we gloss over that, right? And we're so Mm -hmm. focused on hitting the number But that salesperson, like we were just talking about that comeback kid that's never hit their numbers, that's never done anything, never seen their name in lights, Uh that person that is able to hit quota that one month, and then the next month they hit quota. And before you know it, they're at the top of the leaderboard. They're going double digits. And the really cool thing about that comeback kid, if you will, is that they understand the, let me reach back. Let me help somebody else, right? Uh They get that piece. And so, ah, I just love that.
1: Yeah, that for me was probably one of the most special moments as a sales manager. It wasn't when we, you know, crushed the number. It wasn't some of the other stuff that we did. It was actually that interpersonal moment with that individual where he just said, you know, it was the first time that someone actually showed that for me. And I think part of that, Oddly enough, comes from my military background, because in the Marine Corps, we always said that you fought for the Marine to your left and the Marine to your right. And that was always your job. That was always what you focused on. So even when you got into leadership positions, you now were responsible for those individuals in a very serious way, but you were responsible for their entire lives. So you were mentoring them, you were helping them to grow and develop and adapt as as Marines. And it kind of flows into the same thing when you're a sales manager. Like it's not just their role as a salesperson. In a way, it's their whole life. It's helping them achieve what it is that they want to achieve and seeing that many things that we do in selling can be applied outside of the field of sales. And, you know, just having the ability to kind of connect those dots and make things click for other people to me is just a gift that we're very privileged to have when we're in those leadership roles.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. So tell us about what you do, because we talked about process a little bit. So how does sales process, how does that play into showing up and leading the best way?
1: It's a really good question. I think from a leadership perspective, it's making sure that from a sales process perspective, it's making sure that the salesperson understands that there's an art and there's a science to selling. But when you follow the sales process effectively, you can better manage your deals and your opportunities. And you can do it in a way that my sales coach uses the phrase, and I've kind of adopted it, which is vicious disqualification. So we talked earlier about managing your time and putting a value on your time. Well, there's time for you, and there's also time for the customer. So when you can be in an early stage of the process and making sure that you're capturing the right information but also making sure that the customer is getting the right information that they need. Because sometimes they haven't thought through the entire process. There's a problem and they're just told to fix it. So they go and they just start researching and finding out what tools they may need to purchase or what software they may may need to buy or whatever it may be. And what I found is actually going through the process and actually helping someone to work backwards from the purchase of, okay, so if you buy this thing, What actually happens a year from now? Like, How would we know that it was a successful thing that we've done? And working back through that process, one helps the customer, but it also helps you as the salesperson to figure out, am I the right solution for this particular customer? Many times, if we're not following a sales process effectively, we get to the point where we think in our heads that we're the right solution. We think that we're providing the customer with what they really need. We put a quote together and we send that to them, but it's really a quote and hope. It's we're sending it because we're hoping if we send it, we think we figured things out in an effective way and that it's going to be the right solution for the customer. But we haven't done the discovery at the right point in the call and really challenged both ourselves, our thinking and the customer and their thinking to figure out, are we actually the right fit for each other to accomplish what it is you're looking to do? When you have a sales process, you can do that effectively in the right order. But then also as a sales manager and as a leader, you can go back and figure out, hey, We've moved this further down the line than it really should be. You know, what questions can we go back and ask this customer because we're missing this, 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 and this? Can we go back and can we say to the customer, hey, you know what? I got to be honest. I don't think we really understand exactly what it is that you're trying to achieve. Here's what I think it is. But can you fill me in? Because there's a couple of gaps here. Customers 99 times out of 100 are happy to have that conversation and happy to inform us of the information we're typically missing. But for whatever reason, as salespeople, we're afraid to do that. So when you have process in place, it can help to highlight when we're just going by our own biases and when it's actually a matter of fact that we need to go through that process.
0: Mm. For me, I always like to say that everything is in the conversions. Let's coach to the conversions. Let's not think about, okay, this is our close rate or this is this or this is that. Okay, if we have one stage in the process where our conversion rate has dropped down. Let's coach there. Let's mm. focus on that. Let's focus on that little piece. And once yep. you focus on that little piece, you'll see that in conversion rate go up. And then we look for the next thing. And then we look for the next thing. And so having a process and understanding this is what we need to follow as a team. This is what we need to follow as an organization that helps everyone involved, right? So it yep. helps the sales leaders, sales managers have metrics. It helps the business owners, the CEOs, the executives to be able to look down, I like to say when they're on the beach sipping a margarita and see mm-hmm. what's happening. And then as a salesperson, you know, like, I need to focus on this. I'm not really doing with in these discovery calls because I'm not converting a lot. Right. So how mm-hmm. can I get this discovery call better? How can I focus on this one thing to move the needle?
1: Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. One of the things I always find interesting when I had my time, when I was a consultant is when, when customers would come in and they would say, Hey, We need negotiation training. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Like, why is it that you feel that you actually need that specific training, like on negotiation? And they would always come back and say, well, you know, deals are getting stalled in the pipeline or, you know, this is happening or that's happening. And it's like, well, if we look earlier in the process, (laughs) we're not actually capturing the right information to begin with. So you don't really need negotiation training. What you need is to focus on discovery, right? And to your point, that conversion. And when you have, one of the things that's really helpful about a process is it can also help to figure out what are the gates to determine should this convert from one stage to the other. Mm. And many times that conversion is happening, but it's happening because the salesperson's checking a box and they're saying, yep, I'm moving it from stage two to stage three, but there's no gate to actually determine should this have gone there or not. And um, yeah, one of the most effective things that you can do is look at those different conversion points and figure out like where do we actually need to work and one thing that I actually like in Membrane that I used when I was a coach from a sales management perspective, we have the performance view where we look at different conversion points. We look at sales projects that are being added into the pipeline. We look at what your win rate is. We look at what your average deal size is. We look at the sales cycle length. And I always like to look at it and say, okay, so what's the goal that you actually want to increase, You know, decrease in the case of sales cycle length, but what is it that you actually want to work on this quarter? For a salesperson. And if they say, well, I want to increase my win rate, then you can go into their deals and figure out where is that conversion getting stuck. And then you can coach to that because that's what's going to have the long tail effect on helping them to increase that win rate.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. This conversation has just given me so much life. So you've had such an amazing career where you've made a lot of impact um, and you've influenced a lot of people and processes and, and companies. Can you share an experience with us either personally or professionally that has impacted the way that you lead?
1: Yeah. So one thing that's definitely impacted the way that I lead is early days when I first got into selling, I remember my dad who was a VP of sales you know, all his life and I, I was never going to follow into the profession. When I got into sales, he said, I'm not I'm not going to give you any specific coaching or anything like that. I just want you to go and take these. He gave me two massive binders from a guy named Don Beveridge, who was a sales trainer back in the 80s, who, um, who had just a really solid consultative selling process. And one of the things that he had in that that he talked about was not being the Superman manager, not being the manager that was on a sales call and all of a sudden ripped open the shirt and there was the Superman cape and you know the whole outfit underneath. For whatever reason, that visual always stuck in my mind. And one thing that I always did my best to work on was to not be the one that saved the salesperson on the call. And the only way that I ever figured out to actually do that effectively was to have proper pre-call planning and coaching on the pre-call side of it of, okay, how do you foresee this conversation going? What are you going to say if this happens? And kind of playing the devil's advocate for what if the customer says this and what if the customer says that and coaching the salesperson through at the front end, then having them go through the call. And then following up at the back end without stepping in in the middle of a call and saying, well, looks like the salesperson's going to lose this one, so I'm going to dive in. But that always had a huge effect. And I can remember it took a little while because salespeople get so used to that sales or Superman manager, I'll call it, that they almost get into a call and they'll bring the manager on the call with the idea of, I'm not going to have to sell. I'm going to bring my manager on this call. I'm going to start things off and if it starts going sideways, the sales manager is going to jump in and they're going to take over. But when they start to realize that that's not your role, that you're actually there to help them grow and improve and get better, you see them start to take that personal responsibility and you start to see them actually grow as salespeople and start developing those things. And that, that for me affected the way that I led in, the, in that way because so many times the example that we see from other sales managers is to go in there and you know rip open the shirt and there's a Superman cape and they, they save the sale. And whenever I see that, I just cringe a little bit because I'm like, you're not letting them grow. <laughs> like, You're not letting them actually skin their knee a little bit and learn from the process. And if you don't do that, they're never going to get any better. So that definitely had a huge effect on me. It was just having that early phrase kind of embedded in my mind that, hey, you're not there to actually save the salesperson. You're there to actually help them and allow them to save themselves.
0: That is amazing. I love that. I usually use an analogy for being a player coach. And I'm like, think about your favorite sports team. How often do you see the coach take off his headset, take his suit coat off and run in and be the quarterback or mm-hmm. throw that winning play, right? Like how yep. how often do you, do you see that? It is not a thing. So you should not be doing it either. Yep. That is fantastic. This has been an amazing conversation, Nate. Can you share with the audience? What is the one best way to get in contact with you if they want to?
1: Yeah. So best way to get in contact with me is just search my name on LinkedIn, Nate Tutas, T-U-T-A-S on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. and happy to talk about anything sales, sales process or anything you want.
0: Thank you so much, Nate. You have definitely provided us with your time, your talent, your expertise, and I will be forever grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much again.
1: Thank you, Esleen. Appreciate it.
0: And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, In everything that you do, try to transform your sales every single day. It's about 1% better each and every moment. Have a wonderful day. Until next time.